0: Welcome to Her Enterprise with me, Melissa.
1: Hey, and me, Kelly. And it's me, Nicole. Join this group of
2: entrepreneurial women building community and masterminding
1: through our problems.
0: So we can all
1: lean into your values,
0: cut what doesn't serve you,
1: and grow in abundance.
2: Let's get to it, changemakers.
0: Hey, Changemakers, and welcome to today's episode. We have Kelly and Nicole here and me, Melissa. And today we're going to be talking um, with Kelly. She has an amazing story where she's going to share with us how she's been able to double her income year after year for several years. So I'm really curious to find out how to do this. I know it's going to (laughs) help me, and I really hope it helps you. So say hi, Nicole, and then we'll move on to Kelly. Yeah.
1: Hi, everybody. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Kelly.
2: Mm, Hey. hey. So my voice is still recovering.
1: (laughs) So it has all that flavor.
2: But yeah, I'm excited that you wanted to talk about this. And I'm excited to share um, parts of my journey and what I've learned about it and welcome any questions. Um, So I think it's hard we kind of alluded to it last season when we talked about like economics and my business. And I felt like listening to that back um, later, I kept hearing like, but how did you do it? (laughs) Like And like those wanting the grounded specifics. And then I realized like, wow, I'm really philosophical and kind of like way up here. And then how do we like get to the nitty gritty? But I do want to like acknowledge, I think the first step is kind of examining your beliefs and like your philosophy around a lot of different things that had been really helpful to me. So like in that last episode, I think it's episode eight or nine of season one. And then, um, we talk about it and I, it's like make more pies and the zero sum pie game and learning about that economic fallacy was kind of like the first thing for me that kind of, um, opened up this opportunity of creativity and how I could use my creativity that I felt like I was very creative to just create wealth. And I wasn't stealing money from someone else. If I like was becoming more wealthy, it wasn't, I was no longer in that like zero sum pie piece. So like the idea with the zero sum pie fallacy is that like, you can create wealth and money can grow. And it's not this like fixed, I like there's $10, and if you have 6 dollars it means there's only 4 dollars for everybody else it just can com- it can completely flourish there's like a flourishing and a growth and sometimes people talk about it being mindset but it can really be just having a good economic foundation and learning about economics and how does money exchange and how do these things happen and what do i believe about money and what do i believe about wealth and wealth creation in poverty. And if I want to, and how do I do that in a virtuous way? And like knowing my own, like pursuing virtue. Cause I think sometimes people will do that. Like, they're like, if you equate like wealth with greed, then you're like, well, I don't want to be wealthy because I don't want to be greedy, but what is a yeah. way that we can like um, acknowledge wealth creation and like do it in a way that we feel is like, encourages virtue within us in a better society. And so, um, so like, acknowledging, like, my ideas, when I look back, seeing, it was, like, watching that video that I talk about on the zero-sum-pie fallacy where I, it really got my, like, mental gears going mm-hmm. <laughs> on, like, oh, wait, I can just make money and I'm not taking from someone. It's, like, just creating this abundance. And, like, creating abundance not only for me but for, like, my community. Like I want to create a market and demand in a market that's like so strong that even my competitors flourish, that like, not only do I flourish, but my competitors flourish and that I can like employ others and like support their families. So like that kind of helps give me like vision and a goal to like pursue Well, like wealth creation and multiplying my business and different things like that. And I want to support my family and like those little needs in my own like goals. So like, those are all like very like meta ideas, right? So how do I view wealth? How do I view money? And I think like we don't have to get like totally stuck and wrapped up there, but I think it's important to recognize your premises and like what could be holding you back in those like aspects and so um yeah what are your ideas do you recognize opportunity cost and how much that is costing you and like um and yeah and how is that approaching and influencing your ability your how you approach your business and how you approach like the offers you create for clients and um yeah and so again just that like make more pies so there's that examine your premises <laughs> examine your ideas and have good economics behind you and there's a lot of i'll find some great resources for economics i'm married to an economist so that was helpful <laughs> um, and then so then the other thing was like just that enabled me to set goals that were way more than i'd ever imagined and so for me ordinary always felt extraordinary because I grew up in poverty and I, I was in hidden homelessness and all of these other things that like to like for me at one point like wealth and it still is like everybody asks like what is wealth to you and I'm like it's half a tank of gas because you can go somewhere like you may not have any money in your account you may not have whatever but you have half a tank of gas you're like I can make it to the beach and back <laughs> I can make it whatever but um so that was like where I was. But for me to like the idea of having a retirement or something was something that I'd always like, I wanted to be good with money. But I did I felt like we were talking earlier, like I felt like I had to be a different person um to like be good with money. But when it came to like just creating money, I could always find a way to hustle. Right. Like so when I I like moved out and I was living on my own in high like my senior year of high school. And it was always like um, I like always had a job or I was always looking for some way to like, to make money on the side or something, but it was always kind of like piecemealing little like pieces for, um for
1: income. But then like, no, you can go. When you were living. So when you were living in high school your senior year, you hadn't reached those meta ideas yet. You still were working in a zero sum pie fallacy. You were still thinking whatever little money you made was what you got to pay your bills or whatever you needed. Yeah. You hadn't reached that where you were like in an abundant place yet. I just wanted to make, see, make sure people know where you're at. In this
2: yeah. Story. Yeah. And it wasn't until like three years ago. And I so I came out, <laughs> this is like a little bit of an aside. And I think we only think... um so, in body work and like 80, like in like different things, there's this idea of like a top down approach and a, a bottom up approach. So, mm-hmm. like if someone's in fight or flight, your body's kind of in this place that it can't fully process the information you're getting. So, my whole life for like at least a solid 15 years, <laughs> there were people that were like, I want you to like figure this out. Like I want you to be a functioning member of society that knows about money and is able to like do this. Like you're a cute girl, Kelly, but really, if you could keep your account in positive, that would help everybody out, right? Like, that was just this, like... Yeah. and so like I had so many wonderful people kind of trying to like teach me how to always have a positive bank account, right? Like how to like have all of these things. But I was like, I came out of a high conflict situation mm-hmm. and I like hadn't learned yet how to recognize um, recognize red flags. And so I always ended up in these situations that were like continually perpetually perpetuating like crisis, whether I was yeah. aware of them or not. And so then my body was always in fight or flight. So there, there are things that I will look back on and I'm like, people have been trying to tell me this for years, but I couldn't hear it. And I couldn't hear it until I was in a safe place for at least seven years. And I really think I had like, I had to like, um, literally get a new brain. (laughs) Like I was like, I was like, that's like the cell regeneration level. I was like, I needed a whole new brain to just really feel safe enough to be able to work through that. So I really encourage as a cranial sacral therapist, like lots of body work, lots of mindfulness to like get yourself Mm -hmm. out of that fight or flight. So you're not in a panic mode or you're not in a space of crisis because then you're going to be like, I'm in crisis, and you're in survival mode, and you're like, well, of course I need coffee right now,
1: right? You're like, of course I need to spend you know, this thing. Sorry, Melissa. It's the same as education. You can't teach a child or anyone. No one can learn anything if they're in fight or flight, which is why when you're working with students who are below the poverty level or have all these other issues at home, they're they're not learning, and they're not going to because their brain can't get to the learning piece. So it's it makes sense for all of us. I mean, we have to- yeah. You have to get the body in check and feel calm and be ready to hear the lesson, and then we can apply it, right? And that's kind of yeah. what you said, Melissa. What were you gonna say? Because I think I- oh,
0: I was just gonna say because you're using the word crisis and you're using the word fight or flight to like break it down more to words that most people use. Yeah, I guess. It, what, yeah. what, we're, what you're talking about, though, is like living paycheck to paycheck, essentially in that moment, you're in a crisis mode. You feel like you're in crisis.
2: Yeah. So it was that, but it's also like other little things, right? So it was like, um, like there was just always like other recurrent traumas that would happen in my life that were just like literal crises crises that like would happen. And then it was just like thinking about money was just like too much of a detail. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was in college, so I, (laughs) miraculously graduated from college and I am like um I would always have a class that I failed and I had one um every semester there was just kind of this like drop class that I somehow would just fail this is how good of a student I was but I had like a guy um who was like an academic coach and he was like you idiot if you would just show up for class you'd get all A's and B's and he was like um use school as an escape from your problems. And that became like such a great thing because I'd be like, how can I go to class when this happened? And I'm in this like immediate reactionary state of crisis. And I wasn't able to totally observe what was happening, but I was reacting to whatever like momentary crisis, like I had chronic pain for years or just like all these stupid They're terrible, real dramatic things that actually happen, but they feel like, (laughs) but I think that that fed into my bank account, which also like made it harder because that did, you're right, Melissa, create its own little crisis of like being paycheck to paycheck and the stress that that creates. I'll always say like, if you have money and you lose your keys, you just lose your keys. If you don't have money and you lose your keys, it's like the end of the world. Like it's this back cursor that's, oh, I lost my keys and it's over. (laughs) Like there's this like, so fight or flight is this kind of you're in this primitive place where you can't make choices beyond the immediate. Um, So
0: how did you transition from that to then being able to make your income and then raise your rates?
2: Yeah. So, um, one thing was like the full focus planner <laughs> and I know I'll like sound like a broken record on the full focus planner, what was crazy is they were like, make your annual goals and even like knowing the fire movement. And they talk about, um, like this, like really geeky finance <laughs> like area, mm-hmm. but like, and how people were talking about budgeting for the year. And I was like, People, like I couldn't think a week ahead, right? Like I couldn't, it took me that long. I was like, wait, people know. Well, they're going to make and budget for a year, like a whole year. And then they did. And that was like the first time I could even imagine thinking that far ahead. And then that fed into me being able to think about retirement or me being able to think about like longer term goals. And that was like when I was able to be out. And so what was great about the FIRE movement was it has this like thigh number. And I would see so many people in the bodywork field um, looking to like so say they're a massage therapist and they want to move to cranial sacral therapy to retire because it's hard on their bodies, but they don't have a retirement because they've been working for themselves and they've never saved a retirement, right, or they're they break their hands, so there's like these lack of like insurances or different pieces, so I was like, I need to like save money.' so that we can have a retirement, or like, have security, and I had like, a couple of years of my life where, so like, I had a brain injury in like, the crisis, and then I had like, another season where I couldn't walk for a few months, and I had chronic pain for a while, so like, there were, like, for me, having like, I was always like, applying for disability, or different things like that, because of these things were happening, well, twice, twice, I applied for disability, but I like, so for me like the the moments that I am physically healthy and capable I feel so grateful for that I'm like I have to find a way to like save money for the times that I'm not does that make sense so I'm
1: like because you've seen it because you've been there when you couldn't yeah. Because yeah. You and because you're also taking on this mindset change of like the abundance of wealth and getting into an abundant place. And so you want to stay healthy, but you also know what happens if you're not. And those are yeah. all like really big shifts you made to be able to move towards. I mean, it's just, it's a really cool evolution story. I love where you're going with this, Kelly. Keep on Oh, going. oh good.
2: <laughs> like, um, yeah. Okay. So I, so then. Like getting these, like being able to think longer term and about these goals, but then also feeling super grateful for like the abilities I have today, right? Like, or the abilities I have right now in this moment and not knowing that in a moment all of it can be taken, whether it's like cognitive abilities or physical abilities. Mm -hmm. And so how do I be a great steward of my ability? How do I be a great steward of like finances and there's like this, um, so I have a theology degree and there's this like story in the Bible of the sowers. And like, there's these three people. So there's an owner and he gives money to these three people and one person buries it in the ground. Another one like modestly invests it. And the third one like aggressively invests it. And like they get um, different returns. And I was like, I'm not even, and so in the story, it's kind of like, don't be like the guy who buries it in the ground, be with the guy who triples his income, right? Like, or who triples and like gets the most fruit from that amount. And I was like, I'm not even burying my money in the ground. I'm not even (laughs) like, I'm not even doing that. I'm just throwing it in the wind. (laughs) And, And, um, (laughs) I'm not even doing as well as the bad guy in this group. So (laughs) Dylan's boss is um, this guy called Sam Gregg, and he writes a book called For God and Prophet. And if anyone's curious about like um, kind of, and it's like uh, Judeo-Abrahamic traditions, Abrahamic traditions and like um, money. And how do they work with money and God and profit and, like, the religious pieces, but also knowing about, um, like, finance and all of that stuff. If you ever want to dig into it, and he's an academic, he's super smart, so it's a little bit heady, but it's worth, like, digging into. And there's very few books where they both have a theological understanding and a finance understanding along with an economic understanding. And so that was a really good book because I so... I had a number, I had a fine number, I had all this other stuff, I didn't have an income. And I also realized it was costing my family money for me to work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't just be a hobby. And especially being a doula... It was like such strain on our family that I was like, all right, what is the opportunity cost for this, like for me to be doing this? Like if I'm not making an income doing something else, some full right thing, if I have to pay a sitter, if I have to like, if it emotionally costs my family for me to be gone for several days a week on a, on a whim or all of these other things, like what does that cost and what is it worth? And so it was... Also kind of fun, as I, like, didn't want to do doula offerings as much anymore, I would, like, raise my prices, like, way beyond what anything else was in the market. And I kind of took it as a challenge to, like, grow the market. In 2009, doula rates were, like, charging $500 felt like, what? And then by the end. $500 for the whole
1: For the whole thing.
2: What? For the whole thing. And people just yeah. felt like people felt guilty charging that much money. Oh my God. Like, and it was oh like, God. we were just a bunch of, and it was cool because it was just like nerdy hippies. Like it's become way more mainstream to like yeah, <laughs> have a doula and whatever. So then at the end of me doing doula work, I did it for 10 years. I was charging and I know there's like inflation and whatever, but I was charging my highest bundle was $2,400. And people would buy it. And that yeah. was what was crazy to me.
1: <laughs> because you're like, I'm trying to step away, but y'all still want to pay me. All right, here you go. Yeah, exactly. If you want to pay me this much. And, but that's awesome. Yeah, so,
0: just so that I can kind of understand the mindset. You didn't have something else on the side. You just had the doula work at this moment. Um, so- but because you were trying to step away from it, you were increasing the prices. As in you were trying, you were almost daring people like, I'm gonna be ridiculous in my price because I don't want to do this and so that's why you didn't care how much you charged essentially like you weren't nervous about it because if you got a no the no was actually the yes that you wanted you actually wanted the no for people to stop hiring you for that and so it was actually a yes even though it was a no you wanted that That's
1: a really fun way to put it. I love that. Yeah. What about the wealth building part, though, for other people? Because when you did that for you to step away, what were you doing for the doulas that were left?
2: Oh, yeah. So what was great is we've totally raised the market. So now doulas like on the low end are like a thousand dollars. Right. So like it's like at least doubled if you're a new doula starting out twelve hundred dollars. To like whatever, that's like a standard thing. So it was great because we built a market that's more sustainable for like for a competition and you can like create a diverse market. And there's plenty of births out there. There's plenty yeah. of like people needing doulas. And there are like way more people that need a doula that are like different than me and can meet their needs in a way that I can't. But what's crazy is there were people I was trying to say no to, even though I was like way more expensive. I was very obviously very confident in my skills because the turnover rate of a doula is three years. They don't, they're done in three years. So I had three times the experience of the average average doula and I had cranial sacral therapy training. So I started that in 2014. And there were people that hired me specifically for cranial sacral therapy training that I'd had to like work with like pelvic floor dysfunction or something like that Mm -hmm. in the middle of birth or to immediately treat a baby after it was born. And so I would say like, no, I don't think I like the timing isn't right. I don't really want to be on call, but they were like, they would beg me and they would be like, please, I know you're the one. And what's crazy is this like client. So then I said, yes. (laughs) And And, but this client knew exactly what she needed to have like a great vaginal birth. And she was willing to pay me like top dollar for that like package which is like locally comparable to what midwives are getting paid right like it's just like really ridiculous like it's really interesting and ridiculous but I think having they talk about price anchoring where you have an offering that's like your most ridiculous lavish offering and then you have like what's bare minimum I can feel good about offering services for and then what's the middle and you're kind of trying to gear towards people towards the middle Mm
1: -hmm. and so
2: but what's crazy is you'll sometimes get people that want this like top tier price offering. And that really helps. So I don't know. I should move on. <laughs> I should well, move no,
1: on. So that's good. So now we're going to apply it because, so you did double your income as a female, yeah. And now we're going to talk about how you've done it with cranial psychotherapy. Right. Well, and they kind of blend blended together.
2: They were both like, I did, it was like, at first it was like 80, 20. And then it was, uh, like 80% doula work, 20% cranial. Okay. And then I like, because the schedule, and then I would sh- slowly try and grow it the other way. Like I would limit my doula work. And then finally, like last year I had to just say like, guys, I can't do it. <laughs> like before I was like, I'll say yes to like repeat clients. And then I was like, I just can't keep doing it. And it helps like for me it, knowing there are like other comp- there's other competition or other people in the market to do it actually makes me feel better about charging more or charging thing because i know that they have other options that if there's some like a price point that better suits them they can find it with someone else who's able to provide it on a level that's maybe subsidized by a partner working (laughs) or
1: something like that. So you also, you added skills to what you were already doing. And that's another way to increase income. And I think it's important to note that when you do add skills or, you know, you add something new that you can do, you can increase rates again. That's another strategy people could use um, who are trying to, right?
2: Yeah, and the big thing was I hyper niched down. So I niched down in doula work. I served. Well, what was great is in doula work. I especially when I started, it was kind of in West Michigan. Especially, it was this like people weren't. I don't know. And I had a theology degree, so my like business name is St. Bridget's. So I was trying to like trigger Catholic clients um, Mm -hmm. who like loved natural health but like didn't really want like a doula and they were nervous of like it being like someone who had very different belief systems than they did and would whatever. And I was like, Catholics aren't afraid of having babies. So I'll get a ton of repeat clients. (laughs) So like that was. No, that's really
1: important when you looked at the vision, like you looked at what, who you could serve and how and how to reach them. And that's also important to doubling your income because that's how you get clients. Right.
2: Yeah. And then it's like a strong network. So they have like a strong referral network. And the Catholic moms, I'm in all the Catholic moms groups. And they're like, who do you want as a doula? And they're like, doula, I have Kelly. And then there's 30 Catholic moms within that group that like love me or whatever. And they love what like my perspective and how I offer things for it. Um, But then in the um, cranial world, I went into that knowing I wanted to do cranial sacral therapy in pregnancy and babies. So it was like this like track of like not just broad cranial sacral therapy, but cranial sacral therapy for pregnancy and babies. And then it turns into like cranial sacral therapy for tongue tie. But if you have it, like if someone's thinking like who's good with cranial sacral therapy for babies, then immediately they think me, right? So cranial psychotherapy in itself in West Michigan is like, like niche down, but like specifically niching down even further for those things, like really helped gain a specialty. And like, and then I have a network within that, like I have a network of other people that are niched within that specialty and geek out about oral function or really weird things like that. So Yeah. So I ended up like, um, so once I had goals and I gave my money a job, it like drove me to kind of like, how can I uniquely meet needs that I keep seeing around? And then it's like, what skills do I have that can meet the most unique need? And then I would super niche to that. And then I would like kind of price accordingly. Um, and then I also found out like, I don't know, like that. It was something that was enough of a relief or solved a big enough problem for people that they were willing to pay what I needed to make it sustainable.
1: I just, how would you, uh, um, if you were going to ask somebody, if somebody who has a business, how would you tell them to go about making it sustainable? Just kind of like gather up what, you know, what it would be to pay for this and that, like think about their bills or think about their childcare, is there any yeah. tips you have for that? For when you're thinking about how much should I charge? Because I think pricing is always hard, anyway. Yeah, and then like, well, I like um,
2: I don't know what or like I like the thing Jillian says about having three. And then 10, like having a test, uh, like test and scale. And so I have a few, knowing your true cost helps you realize that you really have to pay more and then pay yourself a fair wage of like, what would someone in a clinic setting be paid for this? Mm -hmm. And then um, recognizing your true cost and like in the home and without the home, like for me just to show up um in like the space I have and to have a sitter and whatever, it costs like I think I had like $55 without paying myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like and so Mm -hmm. then it's like knowing that, like with the overhead and then having a sitter or having whatever. So then I don't feel nearly as bad. But it also gives me like if I need to discount for someone, it shows like me what margins I can negotiate or what margins I can discount without totally obliterating my costs or going out those ways.
1: Got it. That so was, that's important for the person to know how much I'm going to spend on my overhead costs. How much is it going to like, they people need to spend time thinking about how much it costs just to leave the house or whatever it is before you're yeah. be figuring out their rates. That's good. yeah.
2: And how much is it going to cost to save for retirement? I, th- I don't think people put that like, what is the opportunity cost and what are those things of like me paying old Kelly, right? Like like paying 80 year old Kelly is expensive. She's expensive. So how do I like pay so that I'm not completely a detriment to my children or my family when I'm old and I'm not making them pay for this, this cranial sacral session that I'm giving away to some <laughs> 130 years down the road. But I do so, not want to, Oh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to jump, but I do have, like, a couple key tips as far as, like, if I – I would have, like, a scheduled amount of time for when I was seeing clients, and then if I didn't have clients that week, I would work my network. I would, like – I would say, okay, who do I not – who's – and I would always ask clients, like – how were they referred to me? How did they hear about me? If I had like an advertising thing, I'd say, did you see this advertisement? And most, and some I found like, no. And then I found out that that wasn't a source for me to spend my energy on. And then if I got a referral, I would always make a point to like, say thank you to my referral network. And then it helped me recognize like, who who is my referral network and who believes in me and who's like putting it, putting people my way. And then I would build those connections or support and at least just say gratitude. And sometimes it's like um, other providers, I'll tell them like, I feel like I see you when I see our shared clients. Like it feels like I get to share a shared experience with Mm -hmm. them. And so I think those are important things to kind of like keep in your hustle reserve (laughs) as far as things like if I don't have clients, then you're, if you're not working in like in your business, you're working on your business in those times that you have set aside for them. Okay. I just want to get that out. (laughs) Oh, I have another note of like, it did help with like tax optimization and meeting with a tax planner and who is different than a tax preparer? Um, they helped me like know, um, they helped me see the value of a pre tax dollar versus a post tax dollar and where to like put money and how to like get the most out of things. So then, especially being self employed and how taxes come out that way. And then, how and he specialized in, um, he specializes in small business. So if one partner's a W-2 employee and one self-employed, what's the way you can optimize that? And then we also looked into optimizing like my husband's benefits, but that was like an overall thing for like a different thing. When I say I doubled my income too, I don't count my husband's income. It's specifically my income. But when we look at like when we bought our house and where we are today, it's like we quadrupled our our income with like intention and like knowing like oh we should meet employer match or optimizing taxes and different ways like that. So So recently
0: you just increased your rates again and you said you know people are booking out at least two weeks in advance. Mm So so was there any different thought process in this change with the increase of your income than what it was in the beginning? And if so, what was that, you know?
2: So there were like a lot of different pieces for this and I still have to see like the whole fruit of it, but COVID leading up to it. um, I have a coach that I'm like, paying a fair amount of money to listen to what she says so that creates a little bit of accountability where I'm like okay well if she says I should do this and I'm paying her to tell me and I'm not gonna listen to it just because of my like there's like recognizing emotional resistance versus like is there an intellectual reason why not to do something but um And then COVID was just really hard and finding childcare and being able to like adequately pay reliable childcare for me to work. Like it overall became way more emotionally um, crazy for me to do it. And then I kept hearing, I'd get clients that were saying other cranial sacral therapists were going out of business. And then I got clients saying, or, and then I also noticed that like overall my client's, I had shifted that they made way more money than I realized they made. I just thought they made as much as I did. And they make a lot more than I I did and recognizing what I was projecting onto things. But then also Dylan was so stressed out that there was one moment and he has never done this or said this before or anything. And it's always been like, whatever. But it was just this like overwhelming moment with childcare where he's like, you just can't work. We can't like do this. And I'm like, like, I don't know. That was never anything that like has ever come up. Right. Like that was never, it was like the most desperate moment. And then I was like, I am the only one in our area that provides this service. Like I'm the only one that's like competent enough that provides this level of quality service. So if I were to like go out of business, it would mean like there's no one. So then it was like, how much do I have to charge to make it worth everything so that I can like have like the emotional support for my husband, (laughs) have the childcare that's reliable, have like all of these pieces and create a space that like supports my clients. Like, how do I do this? So what was crazy is I like raised my rates like an in initial session before it was $144 and I just raised it to $250. And I think we were so tired and desperate enough that I was like, fine. <laughs> and I was like booked out for three weeks. I was happy if people canceled. I was, I would get excited if I got a cancellation. And then other people around me are dying. Like they're just not surviving. So it's kind of this like desperation. And 2020 has been a year of like re, re, restart. <laughs> like, and so I don't know if I'm going to have three weeks where I'm off again. Like it's just this like thing of like, how do I sustain this longer term and whatever? And if it means me, pra- the difference between me practicing or not practicing like those are key factors that have to go in and I kind again I didn't care if they didn't hire me what was fun and what I was saying kind of before the call is like I'm amazed people are still hiring me <laughs> like which is great um and I'm getting tougher cases that are way more in my niche And that I am, like, most uniquely able to serve. And I, like, absolutely love it. I have other providers that do cranial sacral therapy that are, like, going out of business but are interested in, like, working for me. And so then how can I support, like, them potentially if – and I have to, like, examine if it's right for the business. But, like, it took it up to a new level of, like, the need that I was uniquely able to fill the – um. The cha- like it became intellectually challenging, whereas before I think I was even though it was in a niche, I like just be I loved the like challenge. I loved ch- I love being challenged and like learning more. So then it like brought a client that I could meet in a way that and pursued me in a way that like I I could uniquely meet their needs in a way nobody else could in the area. So that was helpful.
1: I I love how it's so, it's similar to the doula story in that you hit a place where you can't do it anymore when it's, and and it's, it's so interesting because this podcast is about family and about trying to sustain family at the same time as trying to sustain your business as my daughter walks in and you can, it's, that's what, okay. Keeping it real. (laughs) The only other thing I just I just thought it was so interesting that when you realized your business needed to grow and you needed to charge more had to do with your family. And mm. that shows that being a mom who has a business actually really, it creates wealth for everyone It mm. really brings it full circle because you came to the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. My husband's stressed and I have very similar stories of this happening in my house. So I totally resonate with what you mm-hmm. said. But that pushed you to say, my family is worth more and my clients are worth more and my niche is worth more. And it actually pushed you into further abundance by saying, I can do more and I'm worth more and I have all this value. And women who are managing a business and managing a family do have a different type of value. It's, it's, it's just more layered and you have to, when you hit those walls, that's when you really explode. And so it was really cool to hear that happen to you twice in growing your businesses. So that's Mm. one takeaway I got from um, your story. And then I want to hear your takeaways too. But thank you so much for sharing this journey. I've loved hearing every part of it. Mm. Thanks so much, Kelly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to quick add, like, Farnoosh Chirabi talks a little bit about that, that being a mom and a working mom forced her to optimize her income. And so if it's like, like Dylan and I, um, we split like nights, we each have a night out where it's four hours out. And I was like, if I have four hours without children, I could rule the world. And that's when I like started the full focus planner or focus goals or things like that. But, um, farnoosh talks about that demand and then women are the givers like in societies there's so much about women entrepreneurs that when they have wealth they um not only create more but they also tend to be more generous and like give to other people so it it does have this like ripple effect of women creating wealth and having wealth and it influencing the world around them in unique ways so yeah all right thanks i'll I'll work it down. We, if other people have questions, they are, are more than happy to email us and we'll talk through it. <laughs> hey, change makers! Thank you so
0: much for tuning in to today's Her Enterprise episode 016, where we talk to Kelly about doubling her income, not just once, but multiple times. It was a story with a lot of moving parts, from changing your mindset to finding tools that are helpful like the Fire community and the Full Focus Planner. With so many moving parts, we know that you probably have questions and we'd love to continue the conversation. So check us out on Instagram and send us a message or visit our her-enterprise.com page and you can send us an email. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that Kelly's story inspired you and gave you some useful tips. The ladies from Her Enterprise are a woman's collective of knowledge, inspiration, and connection. We are changemakers. This is a podcast for the whole person. It is for you and your business let's grow let's flourish let's rise with her enterprise are you ready to be a change maker hit subscribe